0: Today we get to talk about murder. I know you've come out just for this week because it's so relevant. Um, Exodus 20, 13 says, you shall not murder. Any questions? (laughs) If some of you have been doing that, stop it. Stop, (laughs) stop murdering people. It's not nice. God doesn't like that. I, I this is actually you know each each week we're going through the Decalogue or the 10 commandments and it's interesting that even the number 10 means it's a number of completeness and it is the number is describes all that we're responsible for and so somehow in these 10 sayings or words captures all that God longs for us to walk in and experience and obey. And we're going to try to unpack how uh, do not murder is very relevant. And I believe it's very relevant for us. The word means not so much uh, no killing at all it's to do with revenge or homicide. It means to not kill a personal enemy. So this verse actually can't be used for those of you who describe yourself as pacifists. It actually can't be used for that. It's not the, that's not the Hebrew word that's being used here. Is particularly referring to doing something for someone uh, being offended and then personally acting on that uh, revenge, wanting to take someone's life. The main point of this command is to uphold the dignity of human life. So if you can imagine all the reasons why someone would want to kill another person they were slandered, uh, they were somehow violated, they were stolen from, a family member was killed, all kinds of, of horrible things. Uh, what this passage says is that none of those reasons is more important than human life. That's helpful to know. It doesn't matter what we imagine has been done against us, that's never an excuse for taking the life of another person. Now, where it starts to get tricky is really at the, so that's kind of the middle part of life, that if we're offended in any way, that, uh, that's never an excuse. Where it gets trickier is at the beginning and ending of life, where abortion is at the beginning of life, uh, medical assistance in death made is at the, at the other end of life, how does this relate to that? When uh, looking first at the idea um, or the practice of abortion, which, uh, I mean, when you, when you walk into these kinds of topics, we need to walk in with great sensitivity, understanding that people have, uh, have gone through that experience and that there's simply uh, the forgiveness and kindness of God that comes to all of us in our pain. And nobody decides to do these kinds of things just out of uh, out of a flippant idea. It's, um, it's much more deep and profound than that, and so we need to be sensitive in how we talk about these things. When the Bible describes when human life begins, so that one of the 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 arguments that is often discussed is when does human life begin and then we could decide when is it legitimate to abort or not abort a child or fetus. The Bible doesn't think so much in biological terms, it thinks in relational terms. And so at the point of conception, it's less of a biological moment and it's more of a relational moment. In that moment, god started a relationship with an embryo it's a relationship that started and god says the the relationship that i've started you don't have the right to break i started a relationship with a human being and that human being has become sacred to me because i've initiated life i've initiated a relationship it's a relationship not first of all with god and then with the mother and father but We think in terms of a human life, relationally, not just biologically. And so at the moment of conception, life, relationship, has begun. It obviously gets complicated when we talk about the, uh, uh, how a woman became impregnated, whether it's through rape, um, uh, uh, other kind of violent or unwanted acts. One of the things that we have been doing throughout this series is we've been uh, almost contrasting the response of the state to ethical problems and the response of the church. And what we often see happen inside of society is that church and state get so wound up together we forget that God has given one mandate to the state and a different mandate to the church. To the church, it's actually quite clear. To the church, God uh, commands us with the greatest compassion possible to always uphold the sanctity of life. It's not an issue for us. Regardless of the reason why life began, God still began that life and it's out of trust in him that we receive it even as a gift. We have... uh, Next week, we have some friends that are going to come visit us from the States Um, The woman is coming to visit us just uh, Incredibly brilliant well accomplished uh, Doing significant things for the kingdom of God and she was the product of a rape and We look now at the significance of her life and God had a call on her life and when God begins a call it's a holy calling. And somehow, there's, there's difficult circumstances, but we receive these moments, even in, in the midst of sin, as not justifying murder, but saying that God has a purpose, even coming out of difficult, painful times. Um, when you talk to theologians, I'm not going to make a uh, political statement, but I'm going to give a... Uh, I remark as I have done my study and listened to theologians describe the issue of abortion. They're quite clear in saying that the church has one responsibility and the state has another. Even when it comes to issues like divorce, we're gonna be talking about uh, these kinds of things next week. Uh, there, uh, I won't say I said, because I, 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 I don't know that I have a well-formed opinion. But theologically, there's room for certain kinds of abortion to be legalized uh, in society. What we see in the area of divorce is when you try to enforce by law a God-given responsibility to the church, it often doesn't go well. Many of you here from the Philippines, you know that it's against the law to to uh, to have a uh, to be divorced. And so what ends up happening you know better than I do that there's ways around that and it gets complicated because there's some things that simply can't be legislated. And so the state has a different responsibility than the churches and as a pastor I'm here to talk about the churches and say that the state has a responsibility before God to think those things through for a pluralistic society that doesn't only have Christian values and to do what's best for society and that's uh, that's a complicated thing to think through but uh, I'm wanting to separate those two moments of church and state and I think that it's helpful to think that way now on the other side of life is the end of life I uh, went to a seminar sponsored by Regent a few months ago and it was all about this and it was a, uh, it's a very sobering thing to talk about. They estimated that in, uh, in 2021, I don't know that they estimated, I'm going to estimate as I remember, uh, that there was, in, in 2021, there was about 10,000 uh, medical-assisted suicides in Canada. It's interesting to note that the uh, the state of California is about the same population as Canada, has approximately the same kinds of laws when it comes to medical assisted suicide, and during that same year, they had 500. That's interesting. It says something about our culture that's worth thinking about. Now, of course, the, the inverse is also true where there's, there's been more mass murders uh, last year mass murders in America than all murders in Canada so I think we just decide how to kill people differently is what it is what it looks like to me but uh, but what does it say about us in terms of medically assisted suicide here's the primary motivation that is described among people who entertain taking their own life or having a doctor do that for them And it's this idea of dependency. It says that there comes a point in life when uh, being made in the image of God is not enough dignity to value a life. That it's about productivity and usefulness. And there comes a point, people say, that when I'm no longer useful, worse yet, when I'm dependent upon others, that now my life does not hold value, and it's my right to take it however I want. That's the argument. And the biblical response to that is for as long as God gives us breath, there's a value in the life that he's given us to live and that dependency is not a negative feature of life. We had our vision retreat for the um, community leaders in in our church and I was talking about when uh, Debbie and I were involved in the um, local elementary school where our kids went. And the uh, vice principal said an off-handed comment just in the midst of a, of a talk she was giving. And she says, of course we all know that the goal of education is to create independent children. And I'm thinking, no. No, I'm learn- I'm figuring out how to be dependent. I'm figuring out how to first need Jesus, and need a community, and actually not be autonomous. Autonomy is actually my problem, not my solution. But in culture, in our culture, we say that if we, if we need other people, that's a sign of weakness, and it makes us less than human. I disagree. I think particularly of my brother, Jory, with his, um, his first wife, Robin. And the stories that were told of, uh, of Robin, who at the end of her life was not able to talk, was not able to do anything for herself. And that people would watch the relationship of my brother with his wife. And my sister-in-law had value in her life because of the love that was shared with her husband. And it inspired the people around her. I find that incredibly moving. There's a different kind of measurement of value that God has in life and it's not about productivity or usefulness It's about relationship and love And these are the standards that God calls us to live by So this is the the technical discussion if I'm allowed to call it that about the value of human life in Matthew 522 Jesus reveals the source of murder and taking a life that isn't ours to take. And the source of this problem of murder, which 10,000 people in one year just through made, not to mention abortion, not just, not to mention neglect, like this is, it's still a thing. But behind all of that, where does all this come from? Jesus reveals the source and it's simply this unresolved anger. The Bible does not in any way say that anger itself is a sin. It's not. God was angry and God never sins. Uh, But unresolved anger that turns into bitterness is the root from which murder and all kinds of violent thoughts come. This quote says a lot. The failure to deal with our inner violence makes the world so violent and it's true that there's something inside of us and now you can see the importance of the Ten Commandments that unless you and I have a mechanism for dealing with injustice and wrongdoing in our life we become violent people is where it ends up Romans 12 19 says this do not take revenge my dear friends I love the kindness of it my dear friends, don't take revenge. But leave room for God's wrath, leave room for God's justice. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's what anger is. Psychologically speaking, anger is a cry for justice. That's why it's not wrong. Anger is a, is a, a, it is a primary emotion you almost cannot control that you, when something unjust happens, anger rises up. And it's a demand for justice. And it's often righteous. Here's the problem. The problem is not in anger. The problem is in how we deal with that anger. And we say, it's uh, I can't trust God with justice. I need to take, literally, justice into my own hands and execute it. And that's called revenge and that is God has not given us we're, we're not capable of handling that So how do we get free from the kind of anger that produces division and violence? There's only one way to get free from Uh, Other people's sin things that have been done against us that we feel like we need to fight back There's only one way to get free and it's through forgiveness What we need to understand is that for as long as you and I feel responsible to execute justice Or to feel like we've been sinned against and to to harbor that resentment for however long we have that is however long we're under the power of that person's sin against us. You see, sin doesn't just affect us in the moment of it happening. It continues to affect us for, long, for as long as we harbor bitterness. And so we can have, we can literally be in bondage to someone's sin that happened when we were a child, we're still in bondage to that sin even as adults. Unless we know how to find freedom through the work of Jesus Christ, in the uh, in the embracing of forgiveness jesus is our example in first peter 2 24 it says this he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross how does this explain what forgiveness is now if you've been in the church for a while you'll be familiar with the idea that jesus paid for our sins you're familiar with that you know you want jesus to to pay for your sins and we describe that as forgiveness which it is That uh, idea of payment is tricky to figure out. Because, uh, first of all, who's getting paid? Uh, Some have said that that Jesus is actually paying off the devil, which I struggle with that idea. Uh, Is it that Jesus is paying the Father? I've said before that some people think that John 3 16 should be rewritten for God so hated the world that he killed his only son. Like is this what's going on when we think of this idea of payment that God is just so angry. He's going somebody's got to pay you pay. Is that what's going on? I've, uh, the idea of payment has obviously because it's in the Bible. It's a it's a helpful concept. Uh, What it means is that uh, part of love is justice and God will ensure that every sin ever committed against you will be paid for either through the death of Jesus on the cross or through that person suffering in hell. Justice demands that sin be paid for. This already colors what we understand forgiveness to mean. Forgiveness never means don't worry about it. Forgiveness is something about paying on behalf of another. So the analogy would be that um, if I owe a lot of money to a bank, I can't pay anymore. And that idea of them forgiving my debt doesn't mean don't worry about it. It means that they're paying instead of me. Someone always pays. And forgiveness means that somebody is paying on our behalf. Now, let's go farther. So it means payment. But what does payment exactly mean? Like, how does, how is, is somebody being paid off? Well, now we look at first Peter two and it describes payment as bearing of sin. That Jesus bore our sin if you picture the Passover lamb in the Old Testament that that a a lamb was sacrificed blood put over the doorpost the people inside of that house the angel of death passed over those houses and did not execute punishment death in those houses that 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 idea of, of, of bearing a cost When in the Old Testament they would have the scapegoat they would lay their hands on a scapegoat send it off and it was that that uh, uh, That animal would in a sense absorb the sins and be sent away Which leads us to a definition that I've been talking about for the last number of years and now it bears uh, emphasizing uh, today in that the idea of payment or bearing A helpful understanding of what forgiveness is, is the idea of absorption. It's absorbing sin's relational cost and effect. To forgive somebody is to absorb the cost that their behavior had on the relationship. So if somebody slanders you or steals from you, that breaks relationship, doesn't it? And what forgiveness means is that I'm going to absorb how you broke relationship, I'm going to absorb that and no longer let it divide me from you. I'm going to take that on. I'm not going to hold it against you. And uh, I'm going to walk in our relationship as though that didn't happen. Okay, that's incredible. When we understand forgiveness as being absorption, this takes on a whole new level of sobriety. Um, it says that uh, in, in, in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, I believe, it says to forgive as Jesus forgave. He bore our sins. And, and that allowed us to have a relationship with God that our, 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 our uh, relationship-breaking activities called sin are no longer held against us and he acts as though we never did those things and we have a free relationship with him. Now when it comes to people sinning against us, we do the same thing. We absorb the cost of that and we relate to them as though it never happened. This isn't easily done. So when we forgive others, listen to this. This is the sobering part of forgiveness, but it's so powerful. When we forgive others, we die to our right to execute justice. You know, I think about Jesus dying for our sins. He's one of the things, he's dying for lots of reasons. One of them is he's dying to the right to, uh, like, he doesn't deserve, he didn't do anything wrong. And he's, that's the 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 act of the cross is unjust to Jesus. Right? He didn't deserve that. When you and I say that we're gonna forgive somebody, we're dying to our sense of justice. Justice would demand revenge. And we're gonna die to that right, and we're gonna say instead, I'm not gonna hold that against you. I'm not going to stand for justice. I'm going to return your sin and I'm going to give back mercy. This is a remarkable response to sinfulness that the world dare I say knows nothing about and I believe it's reserved for the church because we follow in the steps of Jesus. So forgiveness does not mean forgetting. You'll still remember. Uh, But it means that it no longer motivates your actions. Forgiveness is not excusing. Have you heard people say, you know, they didn't really mean to do it? Well, I'm pretty sure they did. Pretty sure. They maybe even wanted to. Maybe even enjoyed it when they sinned against you. Hate to break it to you. But what we think is that if we make the sin small enough, it's easier to forgive, you know? and I guess that's true. But it's not just excusing. It's, no, what you did was wrong. What you did broke relationship. I'm not going to pretend that it's not true. Forgiveness is also not a particular kind of feeling where we have to feel a certain way before we act a certain way. Sometimes actions precede feelings. What it is, and we've been saying this now a few times because I'm trying to drive the point home, what forgiveness is is acting like the person never sinned. I was talking with a friend this week about the idea of forgiveness and uh, she was saying that uh, what you can tell if you've forgiven somebody and by forgiveness by the way forgiveness is often a process um, not just an event but you can tell when you're when you're free when you're walking in forgiveness is when you hear that somebody who's done something wrong against you and you hear that they're going well that you feel happy inside then odds are high you've forgiven. Um, but if the, you hear they're doing well, it's like, are you kidding me? You know what they did to me? Odds are high, you still have some work to do in the, uh, in the area of forgiveness. Now, to explain this, what I'd like to do, and this is all uh, uh, Daryl Johnson gets credit for this, but I would like to relate to other, I, I would like to look at three ways that scripture describes we could relate to others in three different ways now follow me on this this is where we're going to go a little deep but man if you grab hold of this it's life changing so there's three ways that we can relate to other people we can number one uh, return evil for good so people are nice to us and we're just bad back that's called demonic like if you go around and people are nice to you you take advantage of them don't do that that's not a good thing write that down Now the second way that we can relate to others is uh, way more popular and probably how most of us would relate to people on a daily basis, and it's what you've heard in the Bible is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, fairness, justice. Now here's what is interesting about this, is that uh, as soon as I live my life according to fairness, so you do something to me and then I respond in like kind. If you're not nice, well, I don't have to be nice to you. The problem with that is my righteousness now is in response to sinful people. Well, that's not great. I need to live in response to who God says, how God says that I should behave, not how your behavior dictates I should behave. Eye for an eye, get this, always leads to war. Let me unpack a a, a quote by Cornelius Platinga. You know he's a theologian by that name. Here's what he says. All shots are return fire. Here's what that means. Any kind of offense typically starts innocently. So, uh, you know, Jonathan, sorry I picked on you. So let's say Jonathan has a coffee. He likes coffee, I don't get it. Uh, Jonathan, you know, he has a coffee and he spills his coffee on me accidentally. There's a little bit left in the cup and I take it and go back, right? Because, and then I laugh, kind of. Because I'm a little bugged, but ha ha. And then he goes, What are you doing? Don't put coffee on me. What I did was accidental. I go, Yeah, but you are irresponsible. No, I'm not irres-. And so, eye for eye, It's it it always starts with a little offense that I need to now show how I've been offended and make you pay just a touch more than how you hurt me in a self-serving kind of justice and it escalates to the point of divisiveness listen to how arguments start what did you mean by that when you said that nothing no, you meant something. I know you meant something and now We get frustrated it, like it just What are you trying to say about me and then it just goes up eye for an eye this idea of, of Justice that perfectly will satisfy one another is an illusion. It doesn't happen. It always creates violence And so we this is what I am so sobered by in our society that we think, get this, it's crazy. There's a way better response that I'll say in about a minute. That our society thinks that there's going to come a moment when justice has been served across the land. And, and every person and group of people will all get what they deserve and there'll be peace. It'll never happen. It never has happened. It won't happen. The only way for peace to occur is through the work of Jesus Christ. And we continue his work by absorbing injustice. Not seeking fairness. So what is the last way? Well, I've given it away. It's good for evil. Not evil for good, not eye for an eye. Christians respond with, "You are evil to me." I respond with good in return. It's proactive love. I get to tell jury stories. Sure, I get to tell two stories in one sermon for you. You can sign autographs in the back after the uh, after the sermon. I've told this many times and established, but I just have to say it here because it fits so well. Um, uh, my brother came to Christ uh, our whole family then came to Christ within six months after that and uh, I'm this is that now we're just all young Christians this is a few years later my brother is uh, ten years older than me which is a lot by the way <laughs> uh, but uh, you know he's older than me so but that's part of the story so uh, so I'm, I'm in like grade nine and um, And there's a bully. We live in the country, and so we have to take a bus into school to, you know, go to school. And so there's a bully. I'm a skinny kid with a very high voice, and there's nothing masculine about me. All right, just to paint the picture accurately, sadly enough. So there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, 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 a kid who's just way bigger than me, which really bothered me. And he would sit behind me on the bus and tap the back of my head with his pencil and just mock me oh I was angry inner inner violence wanting to express itself is that word violence just not able to pull it off that was my only problem as far as I could tell and so uh, so this is in the fall the um, uh, Jory comes home from uh, from UBC uh, for Christmas break I'm um, still so going to school for a few more days I tell him my big brother who should help me out right can I get an amen? He should help me out. And so, uh, so I say, there's this bully, you know, can you help me? Like, I'm thinking, help me, you know? And he says, he says to me, he says, well, you know, the Bible says that we should love our enemies. And I thought, this is not a good start. <laughs> this is not the direction that I was hoping for. So he says, here's what, I, here's what I think you should do. I think you should give him something that means something to you. As a gift of kindness because good overcomes evil so uh, this is dating myself I don't know if any of you know about this uh, uh, the Hardy Boys have you ever heard of them oh good I don't feel as old as I thought I was uh, so I was collecting Hardy Boys and uh, and so I, I, I wrapped up one of the Hardy Boy books and a Christian comic there was such a thing back then and I, I wrapped them up last day of school I get off at his bus stop and my heart is pounding like you have no idea. And I go up to this guy and I mumble something about Merry Christmas. I have no idea what I said. I give him the, the gift and I go off as quickly as I can. And all Christmas break, I am sick inside. I'm thinking, I, I'm already wimpy, and this confirmed it. Like he's just going to take advantage of this moment. And so I'm dreading coming back, you know, at the beginning of January. First day back, we're in school. And he hollers at me across. He goes, hey, Greg. I go, here we go. And he says to me, he comes up, and he says, hey, Greg, thanks for the Christmas present. And I says, I read the comic. I haven't read the book. And I'm thinking, because you can't read. But I <laughs> didn't say it out loud. I did not say it out loud. <clears throat> and he says, uh, he says, thank you very much. Never bug me again. Good overcame evil, and I've never forgotten that moment all my life. Good overcomes evil. Justice to justice does not overcome evil. Jesus' way overcomes evil. Amen? So, let's look then. This is now proactive love. This isn't just being wimpy. This is proactive love. This is uh, a paraphrase. It's my paraphrase, but it's taken off the work of... uh, of Daryl Johnson and it's Matthew 5 38 to 42 if we can put that up now look at this This is the uh, paraphrase. It's the you know, it's a PG paraphrase. So uh, When an evil person slaps you Now here's how I've read it when an evil person slaps you Let them slap you on the other cheek. That's how I've always read it. Just be passive If you want to hit you let them hit you that's not that's not how the verse reads when an evil person slaps you, turn toward them and offer your other cheek. It's, churn- you're going to slap me? You slap, I, here, I'm, cho- I'm in charge of this moment. You can slap me on this other cheek if you want. I'm deciding how this moment goes, and I'm choosing to humble myself before you. And if you want to slap me again, you can slap me again. I'm not just letting myself be slapped I'm choosing I'm leaning forward into the moment and I'm letting injustice happen to me of my own volition incredible it gets worse or better depending on how you read it when someone sues you for your shirt give him your coat even before you get to court this is not saying if somebody sues you for your shirt and the court. Judges, you know, not in your favor and they take your coat. We'll let it happen. This is not passivity This is somebody who wants your money and then you say I'll give you that money and I'll up it with more That is the Christian way This is radical even before you get to court you settle up to your disadvantage This is what Christians do. It's the only way to overcome evil. There's no other way. Although you're legally bound, and this is what's true, you're legally bound to carry a soldier's bag for a mile. That's just a Roman soldier can enlist you to carry their bag for a mile. What you do is you take it an extra mile. Not because they asked you, but because you say, you can do this to me, this is what I can do for you. I am proactively walking out the love of God that has been extended to me, I now extend it to you and give you what you do not deserve, but I willingly give. This is powerful. I go the extra mile because I'm deciding to do it because I love Jesus. And actively care for those in need. Don't just give them what they want. Love them better. Love them more. the world would be transformed with this kind of love. It would be transformed. Evil is overcome when we do not live in reaction to it. We're free. I don't live in reaction to your evil. I live in response to my father who sent his son to die for my sins and I continue his work. By now loving you how I've been loved is the least I can do. I think I said it earlier in the series, but it bears repeating. All through the Gospels, which is the stories about Jesus' life, the disciples are continually asking Jesus, when do they get to have power and finally conquer Rome and let Israel be a free nation again? It's their motivation all the way through into Acts. And it looks as though God never, Jesus never responds. He just says, this is not for you to know the times or the dates. Now get this, you want to talk about real power? The greatest empire, the Roman Empire at that time, greatest empire in the world, is conquered by Christians who never lifted a sword. 300 years later, Rome was conquered by Christianity. And it became a Christian empire. I think you and I underestimate the power of love time and again. And we think justice, justice, quote unquote, is more uh, efficient at bringing love than mercy is. And it's not true. Mercy is the way that Jesus has decided to bring his kingdom to earth. And we get to be participants in that. This is remarkable. Now, i got to say a caveat before I conclude. This does not mean, it needs to be said, that those who have had an abusive husband, that somehow forgiveness means you need to go back into an abusive relationship. It does not mean that. That's reconciliation, that's not forgiveness. And reconciliation can only happen if the other party repents. So let's be clear about that. There's a difference between repentance, uh, sorry, forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation requires repentance on both people, turning toward. And if someone is unwilling to do that and they're still dangerous, I think the state should take care of that. So, in conclusion, God calls us to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. How do you make peace? Through mercy. Here's a sentence that I really like. What's the ultimate effect of sin is death, and death is alienation, eternal alienation. That's the ultimate effect. Death is defeated when the ultimate... Effect of sin becomes the ultimate expression of love. Isn't that powerful? How is death going to be defeated? When I choose it. When I choose to lay down my life for your well-being, the kingdom of God was advanced on earth. This is our way. This is what we do as Christians. First John 4:10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can willingly absorb injustice because we are promised life after death. You see, Christians stand unique in that we believe in resurrection life. We believe that if we die to our sense of righteousness, if we die to our ego and what we think that we deserve, we believe that there's life after death, a life that's characterized as being with God forever. Philippians three ten says this I want you to know I want to know Christ. Yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I, I hear people say you know I just I feel like I I don't know how to know Jesus. I. I pray and he doesn't seem to answer my prayers. I read my Bible and it feels like I'm just reading a book. I just, how how do I connect with God? Forgive someone who's violated you. And then you will know Jesus. You will, as you wrestle that through, you will understand something of God's love towards you that you will have never grabbed hold of had you not endured the injustice of forgiveness. It's how it works. We've been saying all along that the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is a description of relational health. Can you see now how profound they are? My friends, I cannot emphasize this enough. Relational health between you and I, between us here together, Is built on mercy based relationships and there's there's lots of reasons why God might send you out of this community he might call you out and that's going to be great but there's one way that you will leave that will not be healthy and it's when you were hurt and you didn't forgive I think our culture is giving us a profound disservice that does not teach us how to forgive and I think it is up to the church to help one another learn how to walk in a heart of mercy and forgiveness. We need to teach one another this and encourage one another. What's the whole point of us being together as a church? We're not great. What we learn here is how to forgive and None of us will stay here unless we work through forgiveness. It's the only reason why we're together. And it's the one reason why we will be able to glorify the name of God through being together in this church because we display the forgiveness of God toward one another. And now Jesus is alive because it's the only reason why we would do it. There is nothing more destructive to our relationship with God or others than bitterness. Bitterness is a chief evil that destroys relationship. Hebrews 12, 15 calls it a root that brings all violence and division. There is nothing more healing to relationships than forgiveness. And it's my prayer that our community will be known not as the smartest, most gifted, most, that this community would be known as a place where people find the forgiveness of God mediated through his people. Wouldn't that be beautiful that that would be our testimony? We're a forgiving people. Not too bright, but really forgiving. Can we have the worship team come forward, please? Now, here's what's true, Um, all of us struggle with this, don't we? This is a high calling. And so, this is a moment for you to bring to mind somebody that you're struggling to forgive. They really hurt you. And what they did was wrong. There's no excusing it. You can't forget it. You can't sweep it under the carpet. What they did was wrong. And they treated you unjustly Jesus is coming today in saying freedom is found and absorbing that and bringing it to the cross It's our only freedom Let's stand together Holy Spirit We want to be free For some of us we have been carrying around bitterness for a very long time and it's been crippling us, perhaps even literally. And so, God, we want to be free. Not free in independence, free to love. We want to no longer be ruled by other people's evil, let alone our own. We want to be free. And so, Father, perhaps even with fear, We open our hands and we refuse to clench them in the name of a self-serving justice. And we open our hands and we release those who have offended us into your hands, letting you be their judge, freeing us up to extend mercy. We thank you We thank you, we thank you, for forgiving our sins. You didn't deserve to die, and you did. And we are forever grateful. And our humble response is to die for others. Thank you that this is what your kingdom is built upon. And we welcome your kingdom through the act of forgiveness.